What's the state of the nation's credit unions as we're in the middle of 2010 and already looking forward to 2011? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm visiting again today with Gigi Highland, a board member with the National Credit Union Administration. Gigi, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Tom, it's great to talk with you as well. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, it seems like, it seems like I ask you this question each time we talk, but it's always appropriate. How would you describe the state of the nation's credit unions today? You know, overall, federally insured credit unions remain very healthy and strong. Uh, however, just like with other types of financial institutions and businesses in general that we see about in the papers day in and day out, you know, our nation's credit unions are really finding the current economic environment pretty challenging. The financial statistics that we gather uh, every quarter really reflect, I think, the collective difficulties that our nation's credit unions are experiencing. You know, a couple very notable things. Over the last three complete years, the aggregate net worth ratio for all federally insured credit unions actually decreased from 11.51% to 9.91%. And then on top of that, during that same period of time, delinquency and loan charge-off ratios have both more than doubled, and earnings really have fluctuated between negative and marginal levels. So uh, while credit unions certainly do remain healthy and strong, they, they have not been immune to the effects of the economic climate that, that we've been experiencing over the past couple of years. So we've all seen changes in the industry, and you can see where banks in particular have evolved in part because of the, the crisis. How would you say credit unions have evolved as a result of the economic difficulties we've faced? You know, here at NCUA, we, we remain uh, really impressed by the collective resilience of credit union officials uh, and the the, uh, the resilience that they've demonstrated in really meeting the challenges presented by the recent economic crisis. In addition to not only addressing, you know, a whole host of financial and operational operational issues, uh, credit union CEOs and managers, and certainly their uh, their boards have stepped up and really reinforced, I think, the public's confidence in federal share insurance coverage, which it really was critical, certainly, during the initial liquidity crisis that we experienced in 2008. And then on top of that, credit unions really continue to expand the availability of services to all of their members um, while trying to serve folks of modest means. So I think they're doing a very good job in the, in the face of very challenging circumstances. I'm going to change gears with you a bit and talk about regulatory reform. We see mm-hmm. lots of proposals out there now from the Senate and the House both, and we hear about banks, we hear about bank regulation. We don't hear so much about credit unions. So what I'd like to ask is how do you see the NCUA and credit unions being affected by the, the regulatory reform proposals that are, are currently being discussed? Well, as you know, the Senate last week um, did did pass a financial reform bill, and now it will have to go to conference between the Senate and the House. And I think there are a couple of issues. Uh, from a credit union perspective, I think there has been uh, a lot of discussion about uh, interchange fees and how that would affect credit unions. And so that's going to be an item, I think, up for debate and probably up for some grassroots efforts on the part of credit unions. I think from NCUA's perspective, um, you know, there, there certainly are, are two issues, I think, that, that we have focused on as an agency. Uh, certainly the financial stability in the markets at a macro level and consumer protection. Um, here at NCUA, we've done a couple of things while the, while the legislation has been under deliberations. You know, we've worked to really advocate the interests of credit unions in addressing global market issues 
And what I mean by that is that our, our chairman, Chairman Matz, has really gone on record in supporting the inclusion of NCUA as a voting member of this proposed Financial Stability Oversight Council to make sure that that council ensures consideration of the credit union perspective during deliberations of whatever systemic concerns might arise. And then with respect to the consumer protection, um, the agency certainly has consistently reminded not only legislators but all interested parties of the history of credit unions really not conducting many of the abusive practices that have helped to, pro uh, to uh, propagate the recent financial crisis. So, you know, credit unions really have been true to, uh, to the consumer protection aspect of, of many of the things that, uh, that the Congress has been concerned, of, concerned about as they've deliberated on financial reform. Gigi, do you feel that, that the NCOA and the credit unions are being heard by legislators? Uh, I, I think so, um, but, you know, time will tell. Uh, as, as the old adage goes, legislation is like the sausage-making process. You never know what's going to come out at the end. Uh, or you, you, you actually do, but you don't know what goes into it as well. So we'll see. Uh, I think time will tell. What can the individual leaders at credit unions be doing at a grassroots level, as you mentioned, to make sure that they are being heard? I think they simply need to be aware of what's going on. I think they need to follow the legislation. I think they need to reach out to their elected representatives if they have particular concerns, both at the uh, at the offices here on Capitol Hill and also at the district offices. They simply need to work, you know, with the trade associations that they're members of um, to to make sure that their voices are heard. When we talked a year ago, we talked about the identity theft red flags rule, which your examiners were out you know, checking for compliance. Give us an update on how or institutions are complying with the red flags rule now, and where do you find that they t tend to be strongest and weakest in compliance? Uh, well, as you know, Tom, um, the the ID theft red flags rule is formally part of NCUA's regulation that implements the Fair and Accurate Transactions Act of 2003, and it became effective November 1st of 2008. You know, in terms of compliance with such a short time frame following the rule's effective date, at this juncture it's really difficult to draw meaningful conclusions about major areas of either compliance or, or non-compliance. Um, what we have so far in terms of the information indicates that, you know, credit union CEOs and their staff and, and boards have generally been fairly proactive in implementing the key provisions of the rule, and NCUA really has noted very few uh, violations. I guess the exceptions uh, NCA in, in uncovered really range, I think, from an absence of either an appropriate risk management process to the need for relatively minor policy tweaks, refinements, and staff training. So very technical uh, violations as opposed to large substantive uh, violations. And uh, we're finding that credit unions are certainly correcting those within a short period of time. Would you say you find more institutions in compliance this year versus a year ago at this time? Yeah, I think so. I think credit unions have focused uh, on the issue in addition to everything else they've had to focus on, and they're also learning as they go in terms of what the requirements are. So as I noted, um, really we haven't seen very many violations, and the one we, ones we've seen have been you know, super technical. So. JG, vendor management has been one of the issues that you in particular have pushed for a couple of years now. So how would you say credit unions have improved in vendor management and where do they need to focus continued efforts? 
You know, I think credit unions have responded very, very favorably to the emphasis that certainly NCUA and and really the larger body of FFIC agencies, which have also stressed this issue, have really placed in in a variety of functional areas uh, regarding third-party relationships and management of those relationships. You know, NCUA, as you may remember, initiated examination procedures related to third parties through a variety of letter to credit unions. Um, the one that comes to mind is letter to credit unions 08CU09, which was issued um, uh, back in April of 08. You know, our field staff has really worked productively, I think, with, again, credit union CEOs and staff to ensure that management really uh, comprehensively considers the implications of the vendor selection process and, and all of the dynamics related to that. And I think as credit unions uh, increasingly partner with outside parties, you know, appropriate due diligence is always going to remain an, an issue. And, you know, we're not aware of any glaring exceptions, I guess, right now, but I think that's because our field staff is continuing to focus really on every exam about uh, management's internal controls and uh, what they're using uh, in terms of due diligence tools and uh, what's appropriate for the particular credit union. Gigi, it seems for the past several months that fraud has been a dominant issue, whether we're talking about Heartland-style frauds with the processors or if we're talking about the ACH and wire transactions or corporate account takeover. What do you see as the current information security threats that pose the biggest challenges to your member institutions? Well, Tom, I wish it were a short list, but it's really not. I think there are five things that are that are really the most significant information security threats to credit unions. Um, you know, first and foremost, I guess I would list employee theft of data right at the top of the list. You know, unfortunately, the agency is learning of cases where disgruntled former employees, you know, pilfer or otherwise corrupt key data after their employment with the credit union ends. And, you know, this, this creates, as you can imagine, um, a great deal of risk to the inst institutions. And, you know, I think what we're, what we're seeing is um, that in order for, for credit unions to be proactive from an internal control standpoint, management really needs to ensure that policies are in place for coordinating data access issues between HR and IT divisions as a part of the termination process. So it's making sure that the, the two important parts of the organization that have, have a piece of what happens when an employee leaves, that those two are talking to each other and coordinating. Um, the second, I think, big area that poses a, an information security threat is employee misuse of data. And what we're seeing in, in isolated cases is that current employees have inappropriately used or benefited from member, member data by providing that data either to third parties, such as financial management companies. And um, again, I think this is an issue for, for, for the management that really management should establish very clear expectations as to how employees should maintain confidentiality in member data and really restrict the use of data to their specific job functions. So it's a little bit of having internal control procedures um, based on need-to-know specific information. Uh, third issue is really debit and credit card processor issues. A lot of times these are outside the control of the credit union, but certainly, as we all know, we've seen it in the, again in the press, uh, security breaches by plastic card processors really can ad adversely affect members. And since these types of breaches ultimately have a huge 
uh, possibility of affecting the reputation of the credit union, it is really imperative that management of, of a credit union conduct very, very careful due diligence when entering a, an agreement with any third party. And then the last two um, are are sort of connected. I mean, what what the last the fourth one I should say is hacking of, of the server. Um, we've seen that a couple of times, and um, we're an outside party gains access to a credit union systems and the the severe consequences as a result of that. And in terms of what we're seeing as best practices, you know, credit unions IT program should have very clear provisions for risk management practices, internal controls, security measures, segregation of duties, and, and data encryption. And all of this is really part of Part 748 of our rules and regulations, and Appendix A to that a section of our rules provides guidelines for safeguarding member information, and Appendix B actually offers guidance on responding to cases where unauthorized access to member information actually does happen. And then last but not least is control over third-party contractors. We talked about this a little bit before, Tom, in terms of due diligence, but as systems become more complex, credit unions um, often do and, and, and should, in many times, hire outside contractors to, to address specific information needs. Once that's done, again, the, the credit union has to exercise extraordinary, extraordinary due diligence to really carefully limit the data that the contractor can access and make sure that uh, the credit union's network access procedures you know, require these uh, technology service providers to contact credit union staff before gaining access to the system. So just, again, that due diligence which really runs through, through all of these issues. Just a quick follow-up question about the insider issues you mentioned. Do you find that the there are more incidents now because of the economic conditions we've all faced, or do you find that your institutions are just getting better at detecting them? You know, I think when times are bad is when you see more incidents of fraud um, and uh, sort of insider and employee uh, misuse of data and, and possibly uh, fraud related. So we're you know we're seeing a slight uptick in that I think because of the the economic climate, but um, you know, it just it behooves credit unions to uh, to take a double look at their internal controls in this tough time and make sure that those internal controls are as strong as they can be to try to prevent fraud as as much as they can. Gigi, as we close in on the midway point of 2010, what are the issues that you believe credit unions need to resolve to be most successful in 2011? I think there are a variety of issues. You know, there's still a great deal of uncertainty, Tom, over the general economic condition of our country and, and how long these economic conditions um, are going to continue. I think the, the, the general sense here at the agency is that they're likely to continue over the next at least couple of years. So I, I think credit union officials really need to remain as flexible as possible in communicating with their members under, uh, under a variety of environments to ensure that the members receive consistent messages that, that reinforce the value of their membership in a federally insured credit union. I think that's really important to maintain member confidence. And, you know, assuming that the general sort of long-term trend reflects a gradually recovering economy, I think the most important challenges that credit unions are going to face next year is transitioning from, from operating in a crisis mode, which everybody's been in for now a couple of years, to really implementing a business strategy with long-term objectives. 
Um, you know, many folks are saying, well, when would this end? And we're just trying to sort of get through day by day. But at some point, this is going to end, and credit unions need to be looking forward particularly boards of directors, are really going to need to look forward to, clear, to carefully assess how the business model uh, presently functions and how well they position the credit unions for the future, not only in terms of the membership viability, but also in terms of product and service appropriateness and general service delivery. Um, and then, you know, I think last but not least, we're certainly at a very unique place in history with um, where an unprecedented number of generations are simultaneously part of the same labor force. You know, boards of directors of credit unions, very bluntly, uh, don't tend to be uh, reflective of that diversity uh, normally. And so I think boards need to kind of step back and look in the mirror and need to really carefully evaluate internal personnel policies to ensure that the, the board, the staff, the management of a credit union remains reflective of the field of membership and remains inclusive uh, to make sure that uh, that uh, management is attracting a diverse staff and obviously a very qualified staff. Gigi, trust is the key. If there's one thing that credit unions can do today to improve that trusting relationship with its members, what would you advise? You know, credit unions certainly, I think, have a leg up in in that uh, in that battle, <laughs> if you will. I think credit unions uh, tend to be in a stronger position than, than most other financial institutions in terms of reputations, but it continues to be earned. Uh, you know, credit unions and credit union management and boards need to continue to be really effective in distinguishing the consumer-friendly business model um, that credit unions have typically followed uh, and make sure that that continues, that they're being responsive to, to member, member needs. And I think that includes you know, looking at what the long-term strategy of, of a credit union is and having the board and management really implement a way to focus daily interactions to be responsive to what the members need in wherever the members happen to be in their lives. Gigi, as always, it's a pleasure to catch up with you, and I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks again. We've been talking with Gigi Highland with the NCUA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.